Good day. I'm John Barr, professor in the physical therapy department at St. Ambrose University. I'm very pleased to be with you today with my associate John Turnquist to talk to you about adaptive equipment to prevent falls by older adults. These are the objectives that we had in mind for this uh, educational experience. Certainly other speakers in this series have provided some statistics about falls and we want to kind of shed uh, a little bit of additional information perhaps. Uh, certainly it's well recognized that the instance of falls by older adults amounts to about uh, one in three individuals incurring at least one fall per year. Falls are recognized as the leading cause of injury, disability, and death in older adults. And we're using this uh, OA acronym for older adults for individuals 65 and above. Um, estimates range from 50 to 60% of falls occurring in the home. And as you'll see, that's vitally important information to our topic today as we're talking about um, adaptive equipment that is used in the home quite frequently. Um, 30% of those with fall injury are going to need help with activities of daily living, up to 60% for at least six months. Aside from the morbidity, uh, over 18,000 individuals die annually from their fall injuries, and again, about 60% of fatal falls occur in the home. Jen and I were a little bit stymied on the optimal definition for adaptive equipment. Uh, we consulted uh, a number of sources and basically you'll find that adaptive equipment constitutes an amalgamation of what's known as assistive and adaptive devices. So a variety of implements or equipment used to aid patients or clients uh, to perform a range of actions, activities, movements, or tasks. And you can see from this laundry list uh, the assistive devices and certainly we'll be following up on such things as as canes and power devices, walkers and wheelchairs, and then the adaptive device component, uh, a large segment on environmental controls and some seating modifications that John is gonna talk about. Without doing a detailed overview of fall assessment, just a reminder that based upon the history that we've taken and specific uh, tests, uh, be they functional or otherwise, um, the healthcare professional should have a good idea of both intrinsic and potential ex extrinsic factors underlying falls. The importance of this then is to be able to tailor one's interventions to address not just the functional, but the underlying impairments. So uh, these factors ranging from age to cognitive impairment, uh, and depression. Importantly, uh, areas of weakness or lacking endurance, particularly in the lower extremities, and then problems across systems concerned with coordination, balance, sensation, and then under sensation, we're going to particularly focus on vision uh, and then the contribution that pain makes to a fall. And then a range of extrinsic factors, a whole host of environmental factors, the, the slip trip hazards as listed here. Uh, ironically, this morning, as I was about to come down the stairs from a second floor in my home, prior to having my morning cup of coffee, 
uh, I tripped over the outstretched leg of my boxer and nearly fell headlong down the stairs. So that was a, a reminder today of, of how this does work. Um, certainly stairs, especially in being descended and especially when wearing uh, eyeglasses. Uh, the absence of handrails and problems with sur surfaces being slippery or uneven, uh, unstable furniture that's used for support, um, trying to reach hard to reach items. Uh, vivid in my mind is my 96-year-old mom standing on a kitchen chair to reach up into a high cabinet to get out a uh, pot, not just one pot, but pots nested within pots. Lighting uh, also could be too dim or too bright and glare can be a factor. And as we'll see dramatically in some of John's slides, the problem of poor color contrast, critical on stairs. Uh, also under extrinsic, our lack of bathroom safety equipment, the eyeglasses and hearing aids that can present perceptual problems. Uh, adaptive equipment in and of itself uh, is a contributor to falls and then footwear is also an extrinsic factor. I wanted to remind you about um, some other assessment tools that are being used. Uh, the National Center for Patient Safety under the VA hospital system and its prevention and management aid uh, employs the Morse fall scale for its fall risk assessment uh, that also aids in diagnos diagnosis and uh, setting of interventions. Uh, it explicitly has subscales that include assessment of adaptive equipment, such as ambulatory aids is listed here, and then the functions of gait and transferring. And then uh, under the uh, American Geriatrics, British Geriatric Society uh, clinical practice guidelines out in 2010, um, now includes a specific recommendation set related to first functional assessment included therein activities of daily living, including use of adaptive equipment and mobility aids as appropriate, environmental assessment, including home safety and footwear. So our intent is to provide a reasonably comprehensive survey of adaptive equipment use in fall prevention for older individuals. I want to start with canes and walkers, where it's estimated that there uh, are more than 4 million cane users and about one and a half million walker users. Uh, and the intent as it relates to fall prevention um, is primarily a biomechanical stabilization, where you're trying to increase through the use of this adaptive equipment, the base of support, allowing a greater range of movement of the center of mass uh, before a destabilized situation results. Uh, certainly, uh, canes and walkers can be used to reduce lower extremity loads. And this can be especially important in painful hips, knees, and ankles, uh, where the adaptive equipment uh, bears some of that load capability. Um, canes and walkers are also used in tasks of propulsion and braking. And then uh, a more recently recognized uh, factor of enhancing somatosensory cues, which um, help modulate the central nervous system and control balance during ambulation. And here's just a schematic of, uh, first of all, a progression of gait um, in series one through five with uh, a cane and how it controls the dimensions of the base of support. And you can follow along with a key to determine 
which is the affected and unaffected extremity, and then a similar uh, diagram for use of a walker. A point we want to stress is the information on actual fall risks and hazards associated with walking aids, uh, as pointed out by Stevens. Uh, approximately 47,000 fall injuries in older adults are associated with walking aids, and these are treated annually in emergency departments. Uh, interestingly, um, almost 90% of these fall injuries are incurred with walkers, and considerably less about 12% with canes, and you might wonder, well, that, that seems kind of unusual. Well, the reality is that individuals who use walkers uh, are inherently more frail, weaker, they have poorer balance, and then, therefore, greater mobility limitations. And uh, Stevens found that in about 32% of the cases with canes and 21% with walkers, the fallers uh, um, basis was described as tripping. And again, that data reinforcing that 60% uh, of these injuries occurred at home. So as we look at possible bases for falls with canes and walkers, uh, it's been suggested that um, these devices present attentional and neuromotor demands which are competing for the individual's attention while they're negotiating a, a walking uh, terrain. Uh, these devices can also have destabilizing effects in and of themselves. For example, uh, somebody using a walker and advancing it lifts that device, moves their uh, center of mass forward. And then accidental contact of the device with objects in the environment has destabilizing effects. And then these devices also can interfere with movements that one might attempt during recovery of balance. So the devices can collide. Uh, studies have been done on limiting lateral motion in recovering with the lower extremity motions. And the act of simply holding a cane or holding an object in the hand reduces attempts by the destabilized individual to utilize a handrail for support contributing to fall risk. As it relates to wheelchairs, uh, we find these devices are used when safe and energy efficient bipedal ambulation is not possible. And as we can see in the lower picture, can be used to negotiate uh, various terrains. It's been estimated that 1.6 to 2.2 uh, million wheelchair users live in the United States, and almost 900,000 of these are individuals above the age of 65. A range of fall hazards are associated also with wheelchair use, with an estimated 37,000 wheelchair accidents a year requiring emergency department visits. The most common accident being related to uh, tips and falls from the wheelchair. Um, it's been estimated that uh, approximately one wheelchair-related death occurs per week in the United States. About a third of these related to leaning and reaching outside of the wheelchair, and therefore a majority related to transfers to and from the wheelchair itself. So in addition to device issues, there, there are a whole range of training and education implications related to the proper use of adaptive equipment. This group of researchers has suggested uh, various interventions to prevent falls in wheelchairs. 
And I would suggest that their categories, their four categories they're going to be talking about, could be extrapolated to considerations for the use of other adaptive equipment. It's just that these authors have flushed this out related to wheelchairs. So you've got precautions related to the user or their caregiver. Appropriately understanding the, the operating manual, keeping the wheelchair in good condition, and observing a range of precautions typically specified in these manuals. Certainly, locking the wheels on a manual chair or turning the power off for a powered chair before attempting a transfer. Um, it's certainly not advisable to pull back on doors or objects when sitting in a manual chair because that has a destabilizing effect or the placement of heavy loads on the back of the manual wheelchair tends to move the center of gravity toward the back in, in a falling position. Um, the Anti-tipper devices are there for a reason to prevent tips both forward and backward, but sometimes do limit functional activities, let's say curb transfers, and individuals might uh, be inclined to remove them, and then caution um, on steep slopes. Then thinking about modifying the adaptive equipment. For example, the use of seat belts, especially for power chairs, or as illustrated in this picture, automatic wheelchair locks or braking systems. So in this case, uh, the, the little brace that goes up to the seat, uh, upon being unweighted as a person begins to initiate uh, lifting up from the wheelchair, the uh, brake system comes into place on the tires. And then a range of wheelchair monitors can be used that also alert uh, the patients themselves and caregivers to, to the attempt to uh, come out of the wheelchair. Similar modifications can include anti-tipping devices as depicted in this photo. Um, these prevent tipping both backward, forward. Uh, they come in wheeled and cap varieties. And I just want to remind you in this uh, elegant picture, which was set up to illustrate the anti-tipping device, notice the position of the casters on the wheels. They're actually turned, turned to the back, which would make the wheelchair more prone to tipping but I'm sure this was just done to, to highlight the, the position of the anti-tipping device. But you would, you would think that, you know, after the person had been traveling in, in this direction, if they were going to uh, maneuver and wanted improved basis support, having those wheels uh, um, aligned so that they were more forward would be, would be the safest position. Also, there are a range of lap safety cushions, such as the lap buddy, and then frame modifications that can be made a wider base or an offset rear wheels. Take a peek at the picture here. Provider interventions. What should we be doing as healthcare professionals? Certainly providing appropriate wheelchair uh, and fit for the user's primary and, and uh, ancillary conditions, ensuring adequate training, ensure use, and safety precautions, so you can see the couple here has clearly gone be beyond the warning sign and, and are out probably not exercising safe wheelchair behavior here. And then training in safe falling. Uh, physical therapists and occupational therapists are, are particularly uh, knowledgeable to instruct patients in, in fore and aft falling procedures to minimize injury and then uh, getting back up into the chair after a fall. 
Certainly one needs to consider under the provider interventions, making sure that a facility's equipment, so in this case, the wheelchairs are properly maintained. And Kirby described an interesting case report where two different styles of um, brakes were installed on a wheelchair, which contributed to uh, an injurious fall. Finally, in uh, environmental modifications need to be considered. Um, easy open doors, widened doorways, modifications in the kitchen that accommodate the wheelchair and other adaptive equipment, and then the important use of railings. Footwear uh, is another uh, type of adaptive equipment, and Gillespie, in the Cochrane Review where this was discussed, suggested that the type and condition of footwear can contribute to fall risk. For example, poor fit, including worn soles, uh, high heels, and not lacing or buckling uh, of the footwear is associated with a higher fall risk. And it's been thought, therefore, that low heel height and high surface contact area may reduce fall risk. One device that has been suggested, um, the anti-slip shoe device, um, has been mentioned in a number of different articles. Um, McKernan, who did the study, employed the Yaktrap Walker device and found almost an 80% compliance. And then uh, through patient diaries, the fact that um, over 60% of non-serious but injurious falls incurred when not wearing the anti-slip shoe device. Um, findings from the study also included uh, reduced rate of falls and injurious falls not requiring hospitalization and fall-prone older adults outdoors during icy conditions. I've personally used this device, this particular product. There are a number of different devices on the market, uh, both in snowy and icy conditions uh, on a regular basis for the past five years uh, and have never slipped or fallen. One does need to note, however, these devices can be hard to put on. I, in fact, leave a set on my winter shoes and then just hop into the shoe and I'm on my way. But there is a fall risk coming indoors with these devices on and stepping onto a concrete floor like in your garage or a patio or a tiled floor. Uh, your, your traction is totally gone at that point and you are at, at definite risk. And I have slipped but not fallen under those conditions. John Turnquist is now going to talk to you about home safety. Well, thank you, John. Yes, uh, we're experiencing the Yak Track as well. Um, my wife actually uses these and did also find out that walking in the basement with snow-covered Yak Tracks on a tile floor is probably not uh, the best to start the day. So anyway, um, I'm an occupational therapist, so I hope to bring a perspective from the OT world into this. Um, we do see that most, approximately 50% of falls do occur in the home, which is quite unfortunate. However, it's also the area we can have the most control over, too. So we can do a pretty good job of modifying the home to prevent these, these fall risks then, too. So, and in the home, we, I, I broke it apart for this presentation, the bathroom, bedroom, and then stairs then, too. So I also found, in fact, if you can grab the screenshot here, too, there's a, there's a, a link at the bottom of the page here from the CDC on their brochure that says what works in fall prevention. 
And uh, they do include on this brochure the Westmead Home Safety Assessment. And really the recommendation was if you want to really reduce falls, get an OT to do a home assessment. And this is something a lot of my insight has come from this. When I worked on rehab unit, we would actually go home with the patient, with a physical therapist, and actually run them through the, you know, put them through the hoops basically and saying, okay, we need this type of equipment to make safe and don't do this. And I don't stand in the stepladder and whatever when I go home then too. So it, it did give me a lot of insight into what not to do. Uh, it's interesting when people say, oh yes, we have equipment. Um, however, when you go home and actually look at their equipment, um, they realize their insight into what really works is, 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 could be improved upon. So I must start with falls in the bathroom because really falls, it's about one third of all the falls occur in the bathroom. If you think about it, it's a place that's going to be used 24 hours a day. Many times where there's no footwear in there, glasses are off for taking a shower, uh, difficult transfers, uh, hygiene after uh, bowel movements. There's a lot of uh, uh, calisthenics almost going on in the bathroom that can cause a lot of uh, issues there. So first, this is my least favorite tub seat, and yet it's one of the most popular ones I see out there. Um, it's, it's available for many of the big box stores, basically. It's rel relatively inexpensive. And many times when someone says, oh, I have a tub seat I can loan you, or in many churches have um, loaner programs, this is the type of tub seat one gets. You'll notice a very, very uh, narrow base of support, um, very lightweight as well. And uh, it, it's only good for an individual if they already have good balance and good trunk support and fairly good strength but maybe say limited endurance and have to sit down when they're taking a shower or something. But then with a narrow base support, it's not really the best for transferring. It's, it's nice this picture here does have a safety bar built into the tub, but um, there are a lot better equipment out there. It, it's, it's amazing the places I've gone to and people will say, oh yes, we have a safety tub seat there and it's a piece of patio furniture or a, or a bench from the patio set. So um, this is one of the advantages of doing home program or home evaluations. Um, I think if we actually did these home evaluations more, um, we would actually reduce falls um, considerably. As it was unfortunate, the home evaluations were really only done for individuals who were on rehab and not the ones who were only on acutes for three or four days. But uh, with the cost and price of you know, healthcare, it's, I can understand why, but then we're also seeing them as repeat um, patients many times too. This is probably my best and favorite of the uh, bathtub seats. Much wider base of support. Uh, this was originally marked under the uh, um, Rubbermaid. I think it's actually Homec now, but uh, very adjustable on the seat height. And it doesn't, you can't see it in the picture very well, but it's very wide. It flares out of the top, and it's even possible to transfer into the tub with this type of uh, seat by sitting on the seat first and then swinging your legs into the, into the bathtub. So it really kind of decreases that risk of actually having to step over the bathtub as well. Now, many of these tub seats come with backs, and some of them, you know, even this one, you can put a back on there, but it's really not necessary because of the large base of support it has. Now, if a person is going home with total hip arthroplasty, I definitely recommend not having a back on a tub seat. If you have a back, you really then have to raise that hip in, the, in the greater flexion. And if you don't have a back, you can actually lean back a little bit and keep, still keep within these hip precaution guidelines. And this is a lot heavier tub seat. It actually almost wedges down into the bathtub, making it inherently much more stable than that first picture I showed you. Then We see a lot of clamp-on safety bars. And I think 
the time and has come and, and gone for these this particular type of safety bars. Um, back in the days when all bathtubs were steel, cast iron, they were very secure, and you really could secure this safety bar onto a tub, and so you it would act as a safety bar. If you slipped, it would support your weight. Unfortunately, with these new vinyl bathtubs we have, you really cannot tighten this enough. It will actually distort the side of the tub and might cause a fracture or break in it. So it's really hard to adhere this very well. If you're going to spend the expense of this, you might as well really try to get a safety bar because that's going to be bolted right to the frame of the house and that's really going to support you uh, if and when you do need that support as well. This is the type of safety bar, and if anybody's ever stepping into a bathtub, stepping over the threshold of even a shower, I always recommend having some type of safety bar. Now, there's a lot of different types of safety bars out there, and I really like, you cannot see it from this picture, but it has a textured surface on it. Um, a lot of safety bars out there are very high gloss, but you really, again, wet environment, you want to have a nice grip on this thing too, so always have a nice textured safety bar. And a lot, of, and a lot of places out there do provide you now with even the angle iron or angle square shaped safety bars that actually not only the vertical but also has the horizontal component too. So um, I, I almost think a lot of individuals building houses should almost always include these during the original design of the house instead of trying to retrofit them later on. Uh, any, we, we're seeing more and more of the fiberglass combination tub and showers which are almost impossible to retrofit with a safety bar because they're basically they're hollow underneath. And um, it, it's better to ha have this thing all kind of planned out beforehand with all the backing you need as well. Uh, one, one of the nice uh, improvements, I think, in safety bars, it used to be that all studs in the house were 16 inch on center and all safety bars were 24 inches or 12 inches. But now we actually have 16 inch on center. So we finally got, never mind the same uh, page, I think. Here. But anytime in stepping in, please have a safety bar. You just never know when that foot strips. I mean, if, if I, it's, it's amazing. I've even seen hospitals that do not have the grip strips in the bottom of the bathtub or, or even the bottom of the shower. Um, this is this is probably the most cheapest uh, security you can have on, I'm, I believe. So, um, there are some high-tech methods too for transferring in and out of a bathtub. Some of these new sling systems do these ceiling tracks and take a person right from a bed to a bath, basically, or for a toilet for that matter. Both saving the back of the caregiver as well as safely transporting a uh, uh, an individual without using a um, a Hoyer lift or. Uh, some other implement. These are a little bit expensive, but then so is the caregiver. Um, there's a, there is a nice change in these walk-in bathtubs as well. It used to be all the bathtubs I could find were inward swinging doors on the walk-in bathtubs. Now I see they start manufacturing an outward swinging door as well, which is good because many times the door would swing right where your seat would be setting. So this is a nice way to open it up to give you a little bit uh, freer uh, way to walk into the bathtub safely then. So again, an, an interesting retrofit, but uh, uh, could be a potential solution to, uh, to a problem. So, Toilets. I, I've always was kind of amused. I have a friend in Milwaukee who has a very old house up there and very old toilet. And that toilet in that house, I think was original, and it's two inches higher, I believe, than the handicapped toilets. Now, this may not be so child-friendly, but for an individual who needs an extra high toilet, 
I think we've taken maybe a, a turn um, backwards when it comes to universal design. So this looks like a standard toilet. It's actually a handicapped toilet. And many times I make a recommendation, well, if a person's coming home, instead of actually having changing the environment or stigmatizing with safety bars, which some people will, will feel, just adding a handicapped toilet for the height as well. There is no safety bars in this picture, and that would probably would be one advantage as well here. So many times we really can't change behaviors. Um, I had one individual, one home, home of value, that he would actually use the towel rack to help pull himself up all the time. And of course, towel racks are not designed for that. And it's just going to take a, a matter of, um, I don't know, what time it's going to finally give away. But instead of changing his behavior, what we did, we just made the recommendation and they replaced the towel rack with a safety bar and they used it as a towel rack. Didn't change his behavior one bit and yet it made his transferring that much safer. These I do not recommend. I can remember working on TSU once, which is a skilled unit at, um, at a hospital, and I walked in to see a patient one day, and there was a, a raised toilet riser such as this. It had handles built into it, sitting on top of the toilet in the bathroom. And I realized this thing was sort of like tip, and <laughs> it was actually not secured at all. And um, I, I do not recommend any type of riser that does not have contact with the floor. I've seen toilet risers such as this that just have a one nut in the front that can tighten down and hold it in place. I do not think that's substantial enough, and I would certainly never recommend a riser such as this that have handles built into the side. They're nice and secure as long as both hands are on the handles, but when you take one hand off to do something, then all the weight's being pushed on the other side. I've had unfortunate instances when individuals would go home and I'd see them back in the hospital the next day because they would be using some piece of equipment I didn't realize or didn't realize that that was so unsafe and they'd fall within those first crucial hours of going home trying the toilet riser for the first time. So all toilet risers should really be contacted with the floor. Um, the, the one I did find in TSU, I have to maybe disclose this, um, this was, I'm sure, just supplied by somebody who said, please give so-and-so this toilet riser. And I found this very, very inappropriate toilet riser, dangerous toilet riser, sitting on the uh, toilet there. So uh, I first asked to make sure it was not the, the patient's, uh, and she said no. And so I took it, buried it in the trash, and it went out the next day, not so people would not make this mistake again in the future. Uh, so sometimes getting rid of a problem is, uh, is uh, as simple as throwing something away. No. This is a quick solution. Now this is basically a bedside commode, which also can be placed over the top of the toilet. One needs to be careful when they're purchasing this, make sure that that back leg, this back angle back here, will clear the toilet. Some of these are a little bit lower and actually get in, and it gets in the way of them becoming, to, being able to be used as, as basically a, a, a raised toilet seat. Uh, this gives you a lot of advantage here that you can actually use it for a bedside commode or basically gives you lots of support here on the floor and very, very stable for a raised uh, toilet riser as well. Also, it's not pictured here, but they do have drop arm commodes as well. So if someone's transferring from the side from a wheelchair or someone's assisting them, they don't have to lift them up and over around the um, armrest here. They can just simply drop it out of the way. It makes transferring for, for everybody so much simpler. So it's, it's always been one of the mysteries of life, but 
you can rent a bedside commode, but you can't rent a tub bench. I've never figured that out. You have to buy the tub bench, but you can rent a, a toilet riser. So, um, additional bathrooms. I mean, again, the, the simple things. Always having a nightlight in the bathroom and, and dropping soap in the in the, the shower or, or or tub. Always have just having a mount of liquid soap dispenser right on the wall, and actually it's there for you all the time as well. Slip resistant. Again, we're in an environment with. Uh, lack of support and shoes, always have some type of mat or some type of strips or something. You know, these are common sense things, but as we've all found, common sense sometimes isn't really um, that common. Not only the mat in the bathtub, but when you step out with those wet feet on that tile or linoleum floor as well. Hopefully you're holding on to a safety bar someplace, but uh, you know, we look at the numbers that, of people falling, and there's a lot of adaptations we need to uh, do to make this world a little bit safer. So we're going to move on to the bedrooms here, a little bit bedroom safety as well here. Um, it's looking at the research. They break a house up in about three places, in about one-third of the falls, bathroom, one-third, bedroom, uh, and the steps, if steps are in the house end too. Um, Older wired homes, I see a lot of individuals on home evaluations that have lots of gadgets. I mean, I think homes that were designed in the 1930s and 40s and 50s never dreamed that we would have cordless phones plugged in, uh, TV sets in every room, uh, radios. And so what used to be one plug in one wall now has an extension cord with, you know, 15 things plugged into it. Um, it it's, it's always an interesting insight going into people's homes, doing these home assessments and uh, older wired homes. I mean, we can eliminate some of the wires uh, by, I'll show you a couple of these, you know, um, protecting units being put over wires as well. But um, that's the first step is really start just rearranging, looking at things, you know, is there a clear path? Uh, are there lights there too? Rolling furniture. A lot of individuals I've met think if they have a rolling chair, they can use it sort of as a, a cheap, inexpensive wheelchair. And yet, if they're using anything for furniture walking and grabbing hold of a rolling chair, well, more than a chair may, may go rolling as well. Poor lights. Um, I'm hoping with these new compact fluorescent bulbs, we're might be getting a little bit brighter, I think. But right now, low vision. I mean, think about the changes of vision we see uh, in our own eyes. And so many times we need that non-glare lights and, and better lights and really exist there. Um, even night lights, as common sense things, needs to be addressed in every room too. Getting up slowly, uh, we probably all experience this. We get up on the side of the bed, whatever time it is, and well, we got to sit there just a second here. And so, but a lot of people sometimes are just out of bed, answering an alarm, answering a phone, doing something, and getting up means going right back down again sometimes as well. So it's always wise to instruct your clients and your patients just to sit, get acclimated to being upright a little bit, and then to start their day. And incontinence. That's, this is not, not go along with getting up slowly. Uh, I used to be involved in the incontinent program at this rehab hospital, and we always did a survey, basically a one week long, 24 hours a day, what what this client did, how many times they went to the bathroom. And I was always amazed that a lot of these individuals were getting up four to five, if not six times a night. And I'm thinking, well, if you need to get to the bathroom, need to get to the bathroom quickly, that's probably itself as a fall risk. So the, the last information I had on this, it was nine years 
between a client would actually talk to their physician about their incontinence. So if you're a physician asking or watching this presentation, please ask your clients. If you're someone who knows that someone has incontinence, please encourage them to basically get to and make, this, make those inquiries and ask the physicians what can be done as well. So not only was it basically getting up risks as well, but the sleep disruption of the four or five times a night getting up and the, and the lack of sleep, I was seeing a much brighter client at the end of our uh, intervention than at the beginning of the intervention, only because they were getting good sleep then. Incontinence, fall risk. Lights easily available. If you can reach to the side, turn something on before you get up, that's even better many times. I will talk about a little home automation at the end of this, um, my spiel today here that talks about how a home can really be turned into a fairly um, efficient smart home it will actually light the lights for you and, pre and prevent those falls for a relatively a little amount of money as well. So th this is one of the trends I've been seeing more. I know home construction costs are up uh, and, and how much it is, but I'm seeing this basically lack of trim. They're just using carpet and rolling it up. Well, if an individual has a little bit lower vision, we, they may perceive that carpet going a little bit farther than it actually is, and that's really becoming a fall risk there. We need to be really kind of concerned about how we are building these things and, and, and plan for the future and plan for this low vision. I mean, um, we're in this baby boomers, which are the graying boomers right now, so we're going to be seeing a lot of individuals who need these visual cues all the time. Rolling chairs, what I talked about earlier, we think we can provide mobility. Some individuals I know, they just scoot around because instead of transferring all the time. But um, if your furniture walking, make sure it's a heavy piece of furniture you actually can support weight on as well. So this is what I talked about the extension cords. We can, we can actually confine them a little bit better. I, I've even done this on oxygen lines when there's a separate line going to a back bedroom. And instead of this person having to step over this kind of perpetually curling O2 line, we were able to confine it a little bit to make her a little bit safer on her um, crossing over these lines. And if we can possibly reroute the uh, extension cords or even not even use them, get an electrician in, get some more duplex boxes in the wall, that's even better. But unfortunately, sometimes we just have to make the best of what a, a client has in too. So these strips are relatively... Uh, cheap what they are um, and actually very effective for confining the, the wires. Stair safety. This is uh, a lot of individuals, of course, they will fall, as John almost talked about here, on the descending the steps is what they say in the research. And one of the ways we can actually help is by doing contrast. Now, if you're looking at this, you've got to take a little bit of time and say which one's going up and which one's even going down here. Uh, we're seeing a lot of this, uh, the styles we see in hospitals, um, convention centers, and even people's homes with no contrast between the tread and riser of a step. So we could do a lot better. Even lights, I'm not sure, would help a whole lot here. So we need to have some visual cues where those uh, where the drop-off of those uh, stair treads are. Um, here's another one here too. We're, I'm seeing a, light, a large increase in marble um, being used in a lot of organizations. It looks great. Uh, a sheen of water becomes, I think, a skating rink here. But again, I can't really tell from looking at this picture where that riser ends 
where the tread ends actually and where the next begins. Uh, we need to actually have some pretty good understanding in the design process on low vision. We're a long way away from that universal design to making this world safe. And I think there's a lot of steps we can make to get to that safe, safer world. So here, here's one I thought was kind of interesting. This is in Philadelphia. This is the steps they tried to put for a little visual cue there. Uh, very, very visual carpet. In, in fact, I've been in some places um, where visual cues have been so neglected and it causes such a problem. I remember one school system that the, the carpet was so busy but it, it would actually induce uh, seizures in individuals who were susceptible. Um, I was in another place, in one hospital once, that actually had the wallpaper, uh, the pattern was on an angle. And when you walk a client across there, all of a sudden they would sort of go with the wallpaper. So we need to be kind of concerned. If you're actually remodeling a home or remodeling a hospital, please bring those therapists into that redesign team as well. I think they can actually eliminate a lot of problems for the future. But this, this carpet here, they tried. They put this orange stripe there, but I, I'm almost guessing what stripe would be if I had a little bit lower vision there too. It's just a little bit too, too busy um, to be... Uh, a, a safe. Uh, it, it's a good try, but I think they could do better here. I like the high visibility. These are nice, stri nice strips you can see. I mean, we do have, we do have codes out there. Basically, it's uh, I think the international code is 280 millimeters, which is basically 11 inches, which is the ADA compliant on what a residential uh, tread width can be. Uh, what I like about these steps, one, no non-slip, non-slip. In fact, there's a little, kind of a abrasive surface on top for a good uh, tread, nice visibility. Um, but again, visibility here shows you're going up, and most falls are on the way down. So uh, I think we could still do a little bit better. What I'm seeing many times, though, I mean, if we step back and, and go back to the Ozzie and Harriet house of the 1940s and 1950s, we had nice hardwood steps with maybe a very thin carpet uh, runner that it still gave you a lot of support. And now because the changes in construction, we're seeing MDF or particle board steps wrapped with very thick carpet, the same carpet we use in the floor, high, high pile carpet. And that does not give you one, a very good support. And also because of the way it's wrapped around all the time, I think in many ways that you feel like you have less tread depth to work with as well. Um, the, the, the things missing from these steps, of course, is the railing on the side. And I can almost understand that. If you, if you go shopping sometimes for a retrofit railing, the, the choices you see are really quite poor. And I can see why a lot of individuals do not include a rail in residential houses, just because it doesn't quite fit the scheme. Functionally, yes, it can be added later on, but again, uh, people will find reasons why not to put equipment sometimes if it just interferes with the aesthetics of the house in as well. So I think we need, I think we can make some inroads in actually making railings more aesthetically pleasable, um, pleasing, I should say, for individuals as well. But uh, this, this is a, a better step than many I've seen. Of course, there are some even high-tech ways we can get around steps. Um, I'm fortunate to be running the assistive technology house at St. Ambrose when we're installing one of these telecabs. This is an easy retrofit of an existing home that does not require uh, the, the column of construction uh, for a basically an elevator. It is nothing more than a 
a, a phone booth almost to rise out of the floor magically and transport you back to the floor below. The top, the top of the telecab is actually the, the floor. There are sensors, of course, built in. will not take someone to a ride or crush them below them. So it's actually it is fairly safe and really a fairly, fairly inexpensive. I mean, it's still around $14,000 installed. But you know, if you compare that to a hip fracture price or even some of the railings or the uh, um, stair elevators, um, this could make the difference of a person staying in their home or, or, or not. So telecab is an interesting way to retrofit at home to get mobility to different floors as well. So, Kitchen hints. Use of carts to carry. And John talked about using walkers all the time. And I see a lot of clients many times when they reach down to a bottom shelf, they always keep one hand on the walker. Well, if they're reaching up or reaching down and really moving over the center of gravity, I always rather have a hand on the counter or something a little more substantial. Uh, and yet they get used to carrying that walker all the time. Um, if you do have to reach up and down for items, well, just rearrange the kitchen so your the items you usually use are within your reach easily. Mats are always good, and the use of carts to carry things, the tea carts to push things around, they still carry on to something, still hold on to something, yet still then transfer things easily as well. I, I don't really like the use of many of these baskets and trays for walkers. I can see why people use them but I can also see them getting quite overloaded at times too. So we need to have uh, all things in moderation, uh, including what the walker can carry as well. So uh, I see a lot of rolling walkers that can get people because the brakes will roll away sometimes too. So, so the, the, one of the things I want to leave you with here, I do a lot of presentations on assistive technology and I found X10 is a wonderful system that can be used for fall prevention. Now, those of you who are not familiar with X10, X10 is a home automation protocol and system that allows for easy control of lights, fans, and appliances, uh, all from remote locations too. But it also makes a very inexpensive and yet very functional fall prevention system, which I've used in hospitals, nursing homes, uh, and in residential houses as well. X basically stands, it was designed in the 1970s in Scotland actually, and X stands for experiment, and it took them 10 times to get it right. That's why we know it as X10 today. If they were a little bit better, we would know it as X9. So, but anyway, X10. This is a, a, a scenario that you probably all are very familiar with. We have individuals who will come home from a hospital who will lack insight into their skills of balance, and then those intrinsic factors sometimes. That's maybe one of the worst ones I feel. I mean, I always felt bad when individuals said they have no fear of falling. Well, I, I, I want a good healthy fear of falling in individuals. It seems like they know their insights. And, but this is a common scenario. Somebody comes home from the hospital. They're in their own room. Um, they need assistance when up, standby assistance, or some type of assistance when up during the night or any times they're ambulating themselves. But of course, in the middle of the night, they don't want to bother somebody, so they get up and head to the bathroom, and you know, things happen and fall risks as well. Well, X10 has a lot of little infrared sensors, relatively cheap, you know, $15 that can be placed around. And so basically, when someone's up, not only does it light the way, but it also can send these signals throughout the house and basically contact or notify the caregiver that Mrs. Smith is up and light the way for that caregiver to come and actually wake her up with buzzers. So it's a real type of um, low-cost, almost automated call system that can be used in, in the home system as well. So um, 
basically the components here too are this is called a uh, um, an eagle eye it's a passive infrared x10 transmitter and what you're looking at here is basically 15 dollars to a receiver it's another 15 dollars that then communicates to the rest of the house and you can plug a buzzer into that and make that will actually wake up the call giver and I'll also then light the entire house if you like how many modules you put on there it's a, it's a wonderful cheap quick system to um, get a little bit more um, independence of someone by knowing well if that person gets up well then they'll be notified and certainly can actually be um, um, light the way so they don't, they don't fall I, I use this on one um, one scenario here that I don't know if I actually talked about that that Yeah, this is one here. This is one scenario here, too. This is an individual. It was actually used in a, an a Alzheimer's unit. And um, this particular individual would wake up at night thinking she was back home again, uh, not realizing that she was in, an, in, a, in a care facility. And she'd get up in bed and walk her normal pathway uh, to the bathroom, which no longer existed, and start tripping over things. And the family contacted me and saying she is falling at home there. What can we do? I talked to the, the facility and said, this is what I can help you set up with. And so we set her up one of these little um, passive infrared sensors here that actually did not detect her when she was in bed. We put a little shield on it. So basically it only detected her when she sat up on the side of the bed. And then basically once she sat up, it would automatically turn the lights on in her room. So she realized she was not at home, but someplace else. And it also then notified a buzzer at the nurse's station saying that, you know, Mrs. Smith is up and please, she needs assistance as well. So this is a, and it, it worked extremely well. It, it, it does take a little bit of training for the staff, but once I got onto it, it's, it's there for their protection uh, for this client. Uh, they were very easily um, talked into having this particular piece of equipment as well. This particular one was um, one of my student scenarios here, again, using this X10. Um, this particular grandfather lived in one of these old farmhouses, which we probably are familiar with, been around before wiring probably, and it was retrofitted wired, and he would walk down these dark stair steps and pull a cord, and that would light the way, and then, of course, when he's heading back up steps, he would you know, turn the light off and then walk up these dark steps again back to the rest of the house. Um, she was very, very scared of a fall here. And so she, she came to me and says, what can we do? So we put together this very inexpensive, very cheap uh, automatic lighting system. So the minute he opened up that, that basement door, it detected his body heat, turned the light on, and lit the steps. And the nice thing about this X10 system, not only will it continue to light as long as it detects motion, but will also turn the light off after a preset time to you know, so he doesn't even have to turn the light off. He can walk back up these, these steps nice and lit. And it'll automatically turn the lights off. So X10 is a really fantastic system out there. X10.com would probably be a place for more information, although I really get my uh, most of my equipment on eBay as well. John has already alluded to the importance of patient and client's cognition and, and buy-in and attitudes in terms of complying with appropriate use of adaptive equipment. Um, an interesting uh, focus group study was done in Britain that looked at English and Italian older individuals and their views on uh, adaptive equipment use. They found that many community elderly uh, are truly reluctant to adopt uh, fall prevention behaviors uh, and this was particularly in relation to assistive devices and home safety modifications, very pertinent to our topic today. 
Canes are often viewed as symbols, external symbols of aging, frailty, and loss function. Uh, overall, uh, participants in this focus group study had very favorable evaluations of bathroom safety devices. So um, the investigators come to appreciate that uh, users may apply different standards or levels of acceptance to devices that are used uh, in the home out of the public view versus those used in public settings. And I think that's something we need to take into consideration in, in talking and counseling uh, our patients and clients into the uh, good use of adaptive equipment. Also recommended was the need for sufficient device instruction and training for effective use and maintenance. And because of the stigma uh, previously mentioned, uh, it was envisioned that marketing needs to have more positive images of safety devices. So uh, this, this recent notice in TV Guide magazine on fashionablecanes.com, uh, you too could have a cane-like house, although I've never really been very impressed with his use of the cane. I've also recently noticed some older women uh, attending my church who have fairly fashionable decorator-type canes, uh, which they color coordinate with their outfits uh, for Sunday morning services. So I think uh, this is coming uh, to be more recognized as important to uh, users of adaptive equipment. I think we need to come to grips with what type of recommendations uh, have emerged from the very influential uh, AGS-BGS guidelines. And unfortunately, uh, the recommendations are fairly scant as related to adaptive equipment. Uh, there were no specific recommendations for or against assistive devices. Um, Anti-slip sh shoe devices, uh, which really have only received one study, were deemed to be effective in reducing outdoor falls and slippery conditions. And fairly strong evidence that home environment assessment and intervention as part of multifactorial programming is especially beneficial to frail older individuals with fall histories. Importantly, as part of this multifactorial strategy, uh, this home environment assessment intervention is not the only thing done. It's integrated uh, in a comprehensive program. Effective programs also need to include opportunities for the individuals to access fall prevention resources. Uh, this could include information uh, on durable medical equipment of appropriate design and style and the opportunity to build fall prevention skills, actual practice and demonstration of skills and safe bathtub transfers and proper use of mobility devices. And here's an individual who is, is certainly using the, the Yaktek product very nicely on, on a snowy, slippy terrain, but one would really have to question the wisdom of using a straight cane, uh, which now appears to be probably embedded four inches deep into the snow as, as a safe uh, combo uh, adaptation of adaptive equipment. We've appreciated the opportunity to be with you today. Uh, included also for your use are uh, a number of references which uh, support the points uh, and maybe expand upon the points that we've raised relative to adaptive equipment in fall prevention. Thank you.